All right, good morning. If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 7 again, and we will begin in verse 36 today. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, and we are continuing our series out of the Gospel of Luke. And um, if you joined us the last few weeks, you know that Jesus has, has been doing some pretty incredible things. He's had this period of teaching in this Sermon on the Plain, and he's moved from that into some, uh, some incredible miracles. He's healed a centurion servant remotely, you might say. Of course, remotely and on-site is kind of a, a big thing right now. Jesus was not even at the place where the servant was when he healed uh, him or her. But, um, but it was, uh, distance is no difficulty. Distance is no hindrance to Christ's power. So he heals the centurion servant. And then he heals, or he, rather he raises, the widow's uh, son who was dead. At the widow of Nain, they were going out having a funeral procession. Jesus raised this young man from the dead. And word of all this, but especially the, the miracle with the widow's son, was making waves. It was getting spread far and wide. And uh, word even got to John the Baptist as he was sitting in prison. And, and John, uh, he, was, he was kind of uh, down. He was kind of questioning things. And so he sent some disciples of his to Jesus and said, Are you the one that was to come or should we look for another? Jesus affirmed that he was the one, that, that he is the Messiah. But then he took that opportunity to defend John to the crowd. Just so they didn't get the wrong idea about him and, and his devotion to, to Christ. And, and he said, and, and part of that he said, as great as John is, there's nobody greater than him, born of women, but as great as he is, the least in the kingdom of God is in even a better spot, is in, in, in a better place because they are part of the new covenant. So he wraps up his comments by telling them that wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, the results that John the Baptist and Christ are getting by, by changed lives, that shows that, uh, that, that they are from God and, and the wise can see that. And so that kind of sets up where we are in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. So if you found that and are able to, I'd like you to stand with me and, in honor of God's word. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who, was, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who and what sort of woman, what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, were both, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you. you may be seated. 
Now Luke begins this episode out of Jesus' life by introducing us to two sinners. Two sinners. One's a Pharisee and one is a woman. Now, now you'll notice if you look at verse 36 again, you'll notice that it says that one of the Pharisees wanted Jesus to dine with him. Now if you think about it, this may seem like kind of a strange thing because uh, Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, by and large, in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, by and large, his interaction with them was pretty negative. I mean, he's, he would call them out, he'd call them names, he'd call them a, a brood of vipers and, and so on and so forth. He'd call them whitewashed tombs and, and it, it was pretty, pretty harsh stuff. But yet this, this Pharisee invited Jesus. Now we would not be surprised if it was a tax collector like Levi or, or some other notorious sinner that would, uh, that would invite Jesus. But this may seem like kind of a strange thing and it, it should cause our, our, our spidey sense to, to activate. We, we should be paying attention. It should cause us to, to really focus in on what is happening here. Now, we don't know why he invited Jesus. It could have been he wanted to just check him out a little bit closer. I mean, here he is. The, the Pharisees are religious leader. People look to him in the community. And so here's Jesus coming in. He's teaching all these things, doing miraculous uh, events and, and stuff like that. It could be that Simon wanted Jesus to come over so he could talk to him a little bit, see what this man was really about. It could be that he wanted to get some ammo. Maybe he was already against Jesus and he wanted to kind of trip him up in his words and, and try and catch him in something so that he would have some ammo to use against him later. We don't know. It could be that he was just doing what was culturally acceptable because what the, what the custom was is if a prominent teacher came to town, you would often invite that prominent teacher into your home to share a meal with you. So it could be that he was doing that. But whatever the reason, he invited Jesus and notice Jesus didn't say, Sorry, I can't come. I, I, I can only go to the, to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes. I can only go and, and minister to them. Now, the, the Bible indicates that he, he went without any kind of reservation. His goal was to share the good news of the gospel with religious as well as non-religious people. It didn't matter who you were. Jesus would, would, would dine with them, and he would share the good news with them. It didn't matter if they were respectable or an outcast. And so he goes. The other sinful person that Luke mentions in, in the first part of this, this text is a sinful woman. A sinful woman. We don't know what this woman's name is. As there's been speculation it was Mary Magdalene. There's been speculation it was Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and uh, uh, Lazarus. There's no biblical uh, reason for that. It's just those are, are some, some ideas. But he, she's just put forth as this nameless sinner. She, she doesn't, her, her name is not recorded. She's just a sinful woman. And understand when it calls her a sinner, it's, it's, it's not saying all have sinned, all, each of us has sinned in our lives, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. Since she's a person, therefore she is a sinner. That's not what it's saying. When it calls her a sinner, it, it's implying that, that she was a, a woman of ill repute. We don't know, it, it, says, it calls her a woman in the city. We don't know which city, but whatever city it is, she evidently had a reputation. She was a woman that people knew about. She was a people that when uh, she was a person that when people would be in a, a, a room, for instance, and she would walk in. You remember the old westerns, and the stranger would walk into the saloon. Everything goes silent. And, it, and maybe you've been in a place where where you've walked in, and all of a sudden people stop talking. It's un, it's unnerving, right? And and probably that's what happened. Either that, or or people would start to whisper. Oh. There's that woman. I can't believe she even show her face here. Or maybe, or maybe if, if she's walking down the, the aisle at Walmart and, and somebody, a respectable person, sees her coming, they, they go to the other side of the aisle. 
They were practicing social distancing. It wasn't even COVID era. I mean, they, they were staying away. She wouldn't be allowed into synagogue. I mean, this woman, it's, it's likely that this woman was, was probably a, a prostitute. She was likely abandoned or divert, divorced and had to, had to turn to that just to survive, just to be able to provide food for herself. And so this woman, for, for whatever purpose, whatever her sin was, it's, like I said, she, she definitely was not invited. She was not on the guest list. And yet, here she shows up. When she learned that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, with premeditation, she didn't just happen by, she didn't just see a lot of people gathered, and say, oh, I wonder what's going on. Oh, that's Jesus there. I need to go talk to him. No, with premeditation, she heard he was there, and she brought with her an alabaster vial of perfume, or you probably may say ointment, with which to anoint Jesus. Now, this may kind of ring a bell, because... More than once in Jesus' ministry, people would bring an alabaster vial of perfume and anoint him. It happened two or three times. And the reason it's always alabaster is because alabaster was a, is a stone. It was also called onyx marble. It, it was striped many times, kind of like onyx. And it, had a, it, it, was, it, it had that sheen and that look of marble. And it was, it was well known, or at least it was believed to be, uh, especially good for keeping these perfumes and expensive ointments because it helped them keep their scent and so forth. And this ointment or perfume was not just, I mean, some, sometimes perfume's a little expensive. I, I mean, I, I've been in stores and I'd be walking along and obviously I don't wear perfume, but I've, I've looked at some of the bottles and some of it's like, you know, the, it, it's, it's the special it's, it's just a few dollars for a bottle. And then there's some sitting down the, down the counter from it. And it's just a teeny tiny little thing. And it's like a, a hundred bucks or something. I mean, it's ridiculous, the, the price for some of that stuff. Back then, this perfume, I mean, it was not Chanel or anything like that. But what it was is it was usually um, uh, olive oil. And they would mix aromatic gums and resins and stuff like that. But those had to be imported from Arabia. So they didn't have all the, the, they didn't have shipping like we have today, and so importation was very expensive. And, and so to have this kind of perfume or an ointment, you had to dish out a lot of money. Or sometimes they would be shipped in from Arabia already mixed in these alabaster vials. So this woman has this, this very expensive perfume or, or ointment, and she comes to the Pharisee's house to anoint Jesus with this ointment. Now, if you're reading closely, look at verse 38 in your Bibles. Because it may have, if you're reading carefully, we, we tend to read these things and just kind of don't think about the wording. But if you'll picture this in your mind, look at verse 38. It says that she stood behind him at his feet. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the way your body is made, if you look down, your feet aren't behind you. If you sit at a table, your feet are not behind you. They're below you or maybe out in front of you. So why does it say behind him at his feet? Because when we think of Jesus sitting at a table, we think of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting, right? All the, uh, this big long table and everybody's sitting in a chair just like Europeans do, just like Americans do. That's not the way that they did it. Instead of having chairs like we do, they would have a low table on the floor and they would have like a, a mat or a cushion and people would, if you'll notice it says he reclined. What they would do is they would, they would, like kind of lay on their side, on their left elbow, prop themselves up, use their right hand to eat. And so their head would be pointed towards the table and their feet 
would be pointed away. And that's why in the Gospels, in the, uh, in the upper room, it, it talks about John leaning his head over into Jesus' bosom, his, his chest area, and asking about who it was that was betraying him and so forth. Because when you have people that are laying like that, you, just, you can just kind of lean back and you're right, right there. And so Jesus is reclining, just like all the other people at the table, probably propping himself up on his left elbow. His feet are, are back from the table. And that's how this woman comes in. She doesn't have access to his head. She just has access to his feet without coming in and, and, and just disrupting everything. That wasn't her goal. And so she comes in and, and, and begins weeping. She's so overcome with, with emotion, with gratitude, with love, for, with, with thankfulness for the forgiveness that she's experienced that she begins to weep. And her tears are so profuse. The biblical word, the, the, the word that the, uh, the scripture uses here is a shower. Her, her tears fell like a shower of rain on Jesus' dusty, dirty feet. As, as her tears began to fall and she began to weep, no doubt people began to look at her. People began to, to, to pause, to, to wonder why this woman is doing this to Jesus. And as she, through, through those teary eyes, she looks down and she sees streaks running down through the dust. And so she, she wants to wipe that off. And she doesn't have a towel available, so she takes what she has. And she lets down her, her long, dark hair, begins to, to, to dry his feet with her hair. And then, as of course, she's got to get down there low to, to, to do that. And as she gets down there low, she's brought close to his feet. And, and out of subjection and gratitude and love, she begins to kiss his feet. And, and takes that, anoint, that, that perfume, that ointment, and begins to anoint his feet. Clearly, this woman is overcome with love and gratitude for Jesus. Now, here's the kicker. If you, take your Bible and look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, Now the Pharisee who had invited him, Simon, saw this. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who it was that was touching him, that she is a sinner. If he's really a prophet, he would know who it was. And it would take a long time to get here, but here's, here's the contrast that's inherent in this, in this text. On one hand, we have two sinners. On one hand, we have the respectable sinner. We have the religious person. We have the Pharisee. We have the person who's religious, who's orthodox. He keeps his nose clean. He doesn't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or run with people that do. I mean, he's, he, he is on the up and up. He's got friends that are on the up and up. He goes to religious services regularly. We would say he goes to church. On the outside, he is looking pretty good. But he's still a sinner. On the other hand, we have somebody who's an open and previously unabashed sinner. She is not respectable. In all probability, like I said, she was probably either divorced or abandoned and had to turn to prostitution just to, just to feed herself. She was loose morally. Her reputation was well known. People looked at her and they, they knew what kind of woman she was. She wasn't allowed in religious services. And on the outside, many people would say she is unredeemable. So here's the contrast. Two sinners, both in Jesus' presence. 
Now I want to drive a stake here because I, I want you to see that both of these people are sinners. One recognizes her sin. The other recognizes her sin too. He doesn't recognize his own sin. He recognizes her sin. And he says if Jesus was a, a prophet, he would know about her sin too. And I, was, I just want to, want to apply this to you. When you look in the mirror, what kind of sinner do you see? Do you see your sin? Or do you see somebody else's sin? Do you see somebody who's religious? Keep your nose clean? You go to church regularly? Maybe give in the offering plate? Maybe work Bible school? Maybe do this, that, and the other? Or do you see that, that, that sinner who's in open rebellion? That, that's, that, that's acts cannot be mentioned in polite company? Doesn't go to church? Don't keep your nose clean? Because both of those types of people are, are both sinners. Now, we have two sinners, and I want you to see two debtors. Look at verse 40 very carefully. If you'll, if you'll notice, the wording is very specific. It says, Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus spoke to him. What does it say? Jesus answered him. Listen, Simon hadn't said anything. Simon hadn't said anything, and Jesus still answered what was going on in his head. And it's ironic because here Simon is saying in his, in his head, in his mind, in his, in his heart, if Jesus were a real prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. Jesus knew what Simon was saying, showing he was what? A real prophet. When Simon was saying if he was a real prophet, he would know these things. Jesus showed that he was a real prophet. But Jesus answered him by telling a story. And I just want to touch briefly on, on the, the high points because it's pretty self-explanatory, I think. First, he says there were two debtors. They're likewise, both of them are in debt to the same moneylender. Listen, the, these are obviously representative of Simon the, the Pharisee and the woman. Both of them are indebted to God because of their sin. Likewise, we too are indebted to God because of our sin. And one of these debtors owed the moneylender 500 denarii. Now, a denarius was one day's wages. So 500 denarii is almost two years worth of wages. So you think about how much you make in a year. Two years worth of wages. He is, he is indebted to this moneylender that much. And the other debtor owed about 50 days wages, about seven weeks worth. One owes ten times as much as the other one. Verse 42. Now, now clearly, the one who owes the most is the woman. The one who owes the little is the Pharisee. Verse 42. Neither of them was able to pay. The only hope they had was for the lender to graciously forgive their debts, and that's what he did. Do you see how this is speaking about salvation? Just like, just like these debtors, we are indebted to God because of our sin. We don't have the ability to pay. We can't pay for it with money. We can't pay for it with service. We can't pay for it with anything. The only hope that we have is for the, is for the lender, God, the one who is wronged, to graciously forgive our debt, to graciously forgive our sin. Not on the basis of our worth, not on the basis of anything other than His grace. Now, if you look, Jesus says when they're both forgiven, which one would forgive? Would, who, who's going to love in response to forgiveness? Who's going to love more? And notice Simon's answer. 
He doesn't say, well, obviously, it's the one. I think he's probably feeling some conviction. Look at what he says. He says, verse 43, I suppose the one who forgave more, who would forgive more. And Jesus says, that's the right answer. Here's, and Jesus is saying, here's the point that I want you to get, Simon. And here's the point that he's wanting us to get. And, and, and he lets him have it with both barrels. He says, we have two sinners, you and the woman. We have two debtors, but only one is forgiven. Verse 44, Jesus turns to the woman. At, at this point, the woman is still at his feet, weeping, wiping his, his feet with her tears, putting the, the perfume, the ointment on his feet. The whole time this conversation is going on, here he turns to the woman, and he still doesn't speak to her. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Of course he sees her. He says, do you see this woman? And, and watch how he contrasts her response to him with Simon's response to him. First, he talks about washing his feet. Now, it's customary back then for if you had a guest come into your home to wash their feet. Or if you had a servant, you let them wash their feet. It's kind of nasty, right? Or at the very least, you provide them water so they can wash their own feet. We say, now why on earth would you do that? You say, I don't even take my shoes off in the house if I'm going to somebody's house. Well, back then, they didn't have closed shoes like we do. Their shoes were basically a sole and a couple of straps that would keep it tied to your foot. And so they didn't have paved roads. You had to walk everywhere. And so their feet got very dirty, very dusty. And so when you go into a home, you would take your, your sandals off. And it was customary to to at least let the person wash their own feet. Usually you'd wash them or have them washed. But this Simon didn't do that. And I notice, look at verse 49, because if, in, in our brains, if, if we're just seeing what has been set up to this point, we think that it's Simon and Jesus and that's it. But verse 49 says that the other people who are sitting around said to themselves. In other words, there's a crowd. And I can't help but wonder because it doesn't indicate that these other people were snubbed by, by Simon. I just wonder, and I suspect, that all these people had come to Simon's house and he had washed their feet, he had had their feet washed, he had done, at least given them water, until he got to Jesus. Oh, what can, what can, what can, a, 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 what could a, a rough old carpenter, he couldn't even appreciate this. Didn't even let him have the water. Now, it could have been that he's just kind of a, a, a jerk and socially inept and he didn't wash anybody's feet. I don't think that's the case because nobody else is mentioned as being snubbed this way. But here he is right in his own home. He has no excuse. It's not like he's out in the middle of the desert and doesn't have any water available to him. He's at his home where he's got the water available and he doesn't wash his feet. It's, it's an insult. And yet here's this woman who traveled from, from some distance to somebody else's home and washed his feet with her own tears. Second, is he, he points out that, that he didn't give Jesus a kiss. And we in America say, of course not. I remember I went to a, I think it was a Catholic wedding or something. 
as some kind of a, a Catholic service. And at some point in the service, I was very unfamiliar with everything because I hadn't been in a, a Catholic service before. And, and they said something about greet each other with a, a kiss. And this old woman in front of us turned around and looked at me. And I was like, no. Why? Because we don't like people in our, our space, right? I mean, I don't like people up in my, I don't like people touching my face. That's just not my thing. So it's culturally weird. We look at that and say, well, of course he didn't greet him with a kiss. It's America, right? No. You probably have seen it on movies. If you've interacted with people from other cultures, it's customary in many cultures for people to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. It was customary in that day and time and in that culture to do that. And Simon snubbed Jesus again. Far from kissing him on the cheek, he didn't kiss him at all. And yet this woman comes in and she kisses not his cheek, but his feet in adoration. He didn't anoint Jesus with oil. Now commonly, if somebody travels, they've gone through the desert and it's, it's hot, their skin will be parched. It's customary back then to give them olive oil to anoint their skin with. It, it would moisturize, it would, it would care for that skin. But he didn't do that. He didn't give him anything to soothe the skin. Presumably, again, he did this to everybody else, but not Jesus. It would have cost him a lot of money, but yet here's this woman who comes in with this alabaster vial of very costly perfume, ointment, whatever you want to call it, and, and she doesn't anoint his head. That's where the Jews would anoint somebody. She didn't have access to his head. It was up by the table. She had access to his feet, so she anointed what she could. And Jesus says, I come to your house, and, and here I am, I've... I've uh, you didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't greet me. You didn't anoint my head. You didn't do any of this stuff. And here's this woman who has done so much. And then he, he kind of slam dunks him. Verse 47. Look at what it says. It says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Now we read that in the English, and it seems like Jesus is saying, Because she loved much, her sins are forgiven. But that runs contrary to all of the New Testament. That runs contrary even to what he's just showed us in the parable. The idea here is that we know, we can, we can see, it's manifest, it's obvious that her sins have been forgiven because she loved much. The proof is in the pudding. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And the point is, Simon's lack of love shows a lack of what? Forgiveness. He's not experienced the forgiveness this woman has. I mean, even if we don't know all the customs, we can see this woman treat Jesus a lot better than Simon did. And so, so, so he assures this woman that she's forgiven on the basis of her faith. Verse 50, your faith is saved, you go in peace. Now, now let's, let's bring this in and make it personal. If somebody were to look at how much you love the Lord, what could they infer about your forgiveness. If somebody were to look at your love for the Lord, how, much, how, how you respond to God, your lifestyle, what could they deduce from that about your forgiveness? Jesus says the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Because I, I, I want to drive this home because many times people, religious people are like the Pharisee. We can identify sin in everybody else's life but we don't see it in our own. We may even recognize that we do have a sin debt, and maybe we recognize that we've been forgiven, but here's the way we see it. 
We see everybody else's sin like this, and we see ours like this. We see everybody else's sin as being great big, but our sin debt is just being, you know, not even 50 denarii. It's, it's more like, you know, one or two. We think our debt's small. Maybe, maybe it's been a while since we've been saved. And you remember how it is when you first get saved, you recognize the, the enormity of your sin. And it, it just amazes you the level of mercy and grace that God's shown to you. But after a while, we kind of lose sight of how serious that sin was. And we can always find somebody that, to, to compare ourselves to that has ten times worse debt than we do, right? Because we know people, we work with people, we're in family with people who, who, uh, who we can point to in, and justify ourselves in our own hearts and minds. So I just want to put it to you this way. Is your love more like Simon's or more like the woman's? This man was disrespectful in his treatment of Jesus. There is no indication he had ever been forgiven. None. Why? Because he, didn't, he wasn't showing love. We don't have any indication he was forgiven after this event either. So the question that I want to pose to you today is, have you ever been forgiven? We can look at Simon, we can look at this woman, and, and we can recognize the, the, the mercy and the grace that's, that's needed to save both of them, to forgive their sins. But do you recognize your own sin? Do you recognize the magnitude of that sin? See, this woman's sin was well known. It was open. And God's grace was big enough for that. This Pharisee's sin was, was more under the surface. It's probably more matters of the heart. He looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it, he, was, he was like a grave full of dead man's bones. God's grace was big enough for that too. Friend, God's grace is big enough to cover your sin, no matter what that sin is. And if you've never been forgiven, I call on you today to make a decision for Jesus, to turn from your sin, to repent and believe. Pray that God would save you. Pray that he would graciously forgive your debt to him, not on the basis of, of what you've done, but on the basis of his grace. Now, for those of us, I know many of us here are Christians this might be a wake-up call to you that, that you need to remember the sin that God's forgiven. Not as some sort of a, a pity party. You know, sometimes we like to wallow in, in self-pity. As somebody has said, when you have a pity party, the only two people who are invited are you and the devil. Now listen, I'm not saying remember your sin so you can beat yourself up, so you can wallow in self-pity, so you can say, woe is me, God can never do anything with me. But rather as a motivation to express the love. This should, be, this should be present in your life because you've been forgiven by Him. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I just encourage you to consider if people were to look at your life, if they were to look at the love that you show to Christ, what could they infer about your forgiveness? Would they say that that person loves much because they've been forgiven much? Would they say that person loves little because they've been forgiven little?
Maybe, like Simon, you don't, you don't love much because maybe you've never been forgiven. That can, that can change. If you'll turn from your sin and trust Christ to save you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for um, the mercy that you give us, the grace that you shower upon us, and, and that, that we can experience, and we know that we don't deserve it, we don't earn it, but God, we thank you that you give it to us anyway. And Lord, for anybody here that's uh, never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would experience that forgiveness. And God, I pray that, that uh, for those of us who have done that, I pray that you would help us to show love through our service, through our loving our neighbor, through our devotion to you. Help us remember the sinfulness of our sins. God, may we have somebody on our hearts that we know has never uh, come to that point in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would uh, draw them to yourself and let them become your child as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.